Hello and welcome to Big Ben History, a podcast of interviews with the people in the room when Margaret Thatcher announced her decision to resign. Norman Lamont would almost certainly call himself a Thatcherite. Her chief secretary to the Treasury, he was firmly on the Iron Lady's wing of the Conservative Party and became an arch-critic of her successor, John Major, for allegedly abandoning her policies. In the 2016 referendum, he voted leave and stayed in touch with Margaret Thatcher in the years after Downing Street. But despite this, in November 1990, he felt she had to resign. Facing a second ballot against Michael Heseltine, he warned her she would lose, while at the same time pledging personal loyalty. For those who argue the move against her could have been thwarted with a bit more backbone, Lamont's testimony, as a true believer, reveals how little support she had among MPs. As in every interview on this podcast, we begin with the Cabinet meeting in November 1990, when Britain's longest-serving Prime Minister for a century called it a day. Well, I remember, uh, firstly, that I had uh, heard the night before that she was going to resign at Cabinet. I wasn't entirely surprised. Um, And I think, if I remember correctly, it became clear at the beginning of the meeting, I think she got that out of the way and said she was resigning, uh, said resigning because you told me I had no alternative. She wasn't very happy about that. But then the meeting went on and on and on and on. Um, And really, at one point, looked as if it would have no ending because people were just reflecting on it and she was reacting to it. And the longer it went on, the worse it became, and she became more emotional the longer the meeting went on. And you say dreadful day, is that just because the meeting was so painful you just thought it was a a terrible mistake? Well, no, I thought she had to resign. Um, I mean, I didn't like that, and I was one of the people who told her that I thought she would have to resign. I made it clear that if she took a different view, I would support her whatever she did, but I felt her own best interest was served by uh, resigning. But, um, you know, it was a very unhappy occasion to see her humiliated in this way, and she was very unhappy in the, the meeting, and... You know, at one point cried a little. That must have been quite something to behold. It was. It was very upsetting. And I remember Douglas Hurd was extremely kind and said comforting words and referred to it as this wretched business. And that's what we all felt, this wretched business. How did it come to it? I mean, looking back at it, this woman had won three elections, uh, was almost certainly one of the two great premiers of the 20th century. How did she end up sobbing her way through her resignation statement? Well, I think that's very well known. A combination of different political circumstances, um, the, the poll tax, an appearance of being a bit arrogant, unhappiness over Europe. I mean, strange as it may seem now, when the Conservative Party is a Eurosceptic party, by and large, at that time, I think a lot of Conservative backbench MPs regarded her view on Europe as far too extreme and the legacy of Heath was still alive and well within the Conservative Party. There were a lot of pro-European people. And so when she had said no to the single currency, no to a federal Europe, no to a European army or whatever it was, um, 
you know, a lot of people felt she ought to have been engaging. I, mean, I didn't feel that. I felt 100% on her side. But I know that you asked me what were the factors that led to her resignation. This was it, and there was a feeling that the Conservative Party wasn't doing too well politically, and she'd been there a long time, and maybe she wasn't listening enough. These were all the sorts of things people were talking about. What do you think was more important, um, policy or personality? Because I get a mixture of the two from people. She'd begun, to try, she'd begun to irritate people more and more, particularly cabinet colleagues. Or do you think there was actually a genuine political difference between her and the rest of the party? I think there was an atmosphere. And I think the, you know, the riots and demonstrations over the poll tax, all that had made people very, very unhappy. And then... We'd had the resignations both of uh, Michael Heseltine and uh, of Geoffrey Howe as well. So the fact that two very senior people had resigned, and Nigel yeah. Lawson, yeah. Um, that relationship with Geoffrey Howe clearly had broken down very badly. Was that something you were aware of as a cabinet colleague? Well, I have to say I wasn't surprised it broke down because, frankly speaking, Margaret was incredibly rude to Geoffrey Howe in, in public, in front of people. It was embarrassing to be there. And, I mean, she could do that to people. I mean, I'm you know, a very, very strong supporter and admirer of hers, but I did not like the way sometimes she was a bit rough with people who, you know, were always in a position to answer back or were too polite. Um, you know, and I, I actually protested to uh, Keith Joseph once about how rude she was to some people who I thought she never did it to me but you know it's probably too junior but uh, I saw her do it to people and I once protested and Keith Joseph looked at me as I was completely mad and said uh, oh really he said uh, you know her method she deals in destructive dialogue he said and he said I get the lash they send a stretcher for me <laughs> and that was was that sometime before her fall? Was that in the sort of mid eighties? Yeah, that was sometime before her fall. But I I had protested at how she treated a colleague of mine. Uh, did she ever hear about your protest? I, 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 not that I know of. <laughs> well, your career continued, so <laughs> well, maybe we're going to assume not. Do you remember talking of Jeffrey Howe? I don't know if you remember. Everybody else has spoken to has remembered an earlier cabinet meeting about a few weeks before the one where she resigned, where she, she monstered yeah, Jeffrey Howe over the timetable and he yeah. resigned shortly. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. That's what I was thinking of. I just didn't specify. No, I remember that very well. That was what I think precipitated his... But it wasn't the first time, but it was embarrassing and it was ridiculous, really, and uh, uh, everybody felt very uncomfortable. Why do you think she did it? I think Jeffrey who I greatly admired and I think was a brilliant chance of the Exchequer, but he <laughs> did have a slightly ponderous, slow way of delivering and just wouldn't be interrupted and just carried on. Um, and, you know, sometimes you could see what he was going to say and you could finish the sentence before he'd finished it. He was a very clever man, don't misunderstand me, but he sometimes had a rather ponderous way of presenting things and she would just get impatient with it and he would say no no this is important point three I think that his manner irritated her and, and you don't think there was it was astonishing to me to read it was obviously that Jeffrey Howe could pose a danger to her uh, he was already quite irritated because he'd been moved from the foreign office do you, do you think she would did she underestimate him was she unaware of what he could do if he chose to or was it just spontaneous 
I think, temper. I think it probably just didn't cross her mind. She was annoyed, and Geoffrey's manner annoyed her. And, of course, Geoffrey had crossed swords with her, or he was in favour of more European integration, you know, he was in favour of joining the ERM, you know, all things she'd seen off uh, with, with uh, you know, the aid of others. And at that time, before the, the sort of crisis began, did you want her to stay? Did the cabinet want her to stay? Was it? Were you talking about it a lot in, say, in the summer of 1990, that we need a new leader before an election? No, but I, the thought had occurred to me that she might decide she wanted to retire simply because she'd been prime minister a long time, but I, I wasn't actively wanting her to resign. But I came to the conclusion after the... Uh, vote in which she won but didn't get the required percentage of votes, I came to the conclusion that as a sitting prime minister who'd had such a high proportion of her own parliamentary party having no confidence in her, it'd be very difficult for her to fight an election saying she had the backing of the whole political party behind her. Um, you know, here was a woman who dominated the world stage and half her party had voted against her. There must have been something to do, something wrong somewhere. Uh, and I, but above all, for me, the uh, clinching factor, clinching factor was that I didn't think she'd get as many votes in the next round if she voted again, because so many MPs came up to me and said I voted for her out of duty, but I'm not going to vote for her a second time. I think if... Hesseltine had run against her in the second round, he'd have defeated her. Famously, she asked to see all of you one by one. Do you remember that one-to-one -one meeting in the House of Commons? Of course. Well, to, again, tell me what it was like. I said to her that I thought there was a danger she would uh, get fewer votes in the next round. She would be humiliated. It would be even worse than the humiliation now. And I didn't want this. And I thought it would be best if she stood down in her own interest. But I did make it absolutely crystal clear that the conversation was between me and her. And if she chose to disregard my advice, I would back her 100%. How was she in the meeting? Not happy and didn't like the line I took. Did she, what, did she say anything back to you? Well, I can't remember what she said. I mean, she didn't snap or anything like that, or she wasn't rude in any way, but she was upset. Um, certainly in her autobiography and afterwards, there, there was a lot of that all of you said the similar thing. You came in one by one but said the same thing, I'll back you, but I think you're going to lo lose. And she suspected there'd been some sort of collusion or even plot between you. Had, had you talked together about what you'd say to her once the Heseltine result had come in? Well, there had been so many conversations. You couldn't walk a turn a corner in Westminster without talking about it to somebody. And various uh, backbenchers had come up to me, and uh, my PPS, who was William Hague, had come to me with a list of people who told him, I can't remember how many were on it, maybe a dozen or so, uh, of people who had said they had voted for her but wouldn't vote again for her. And I had a similar conversation with Michael Jopling, who had been chief whip, and he said the same thing to me. And I thought, as a chief whip, he knows how to count, and he knows when people are pretending. And he thought the same. And I know that's not just a trick of memory, because I asked Michael Jopling the other day to confirm to me that my memory was right, because I said it in a broadcast, and I didn't want to mention his name, because sometimes you misremember things. And he said, no, that is uh, exactly right. So I, I, I'm sure, I do, do remember I had the odd conversation with uh, 
uh, cabinet colleagues. Uh, I think I talked to Michael Howard and Peter Lilly about it. In, I mean, we three were of the same mind, I think different from Kenneth Clark, who I think said to a, uh, you know, I, I, I'll oppose you and I'll oppose you if you ignore my advice. You played a big part in the John Major government that followed and there was a government beset by various travails. Do you think the nature of Mrs Thatcher's defenestration played a role in the instability of the following government? Uh, a little, but I don't think the manner of Mrs. Thatcher's going, I don't think, I mean, people say this was a shadow that, uh, I, I, don't, I don't really think that. I think what was difficult, you know, like succeeding Churchill, the difficulties Anton Eden had, you come after a colossus and you have a different style, and I'm not belittling John Major, but whereas she was a confrontationalist, you might say, or someone who enjoyed argument, who in enjoyed pursuing things. John Major had more of a compromising, more emollient attitude. And you know, people would contrast this and then sometimes they'd say, oh, I wish people could be more decisive. You know, it's difficult when you have someone who's achieved so much and who is such a dominating figure for someone not to be in their shadow because of style. But you know, I think there were other reasons for the strains. Do you think, the, I mean, it's a collective decision, it's sick, well, how many is it? The, the individual decision of 350 MPs. Do you think the Conservative Party took the right decision? Do you think it was the right thing to do back in 1990? To change leader? Yes, I think... Uh, well, I think it was right that she resigned. I, I voted for her. No, but to change leader, I mean, essentially she was forced out by her own party. Do you think the Conservative Party acted ruthlessly but effectively? Well, it's difficult to say. There was an argument that the public were tired of her. The fact that John Major won the election easily showed the public would buy a new face. So in that sense, it was a logical decision. Perhaps she might not have won the election. She once said to me, we might not win the next election. She was conscious of her own vulnerability. Um, But I, I can't say they made the right decision, not because I think it was wrong to choose John Major, but I voted for Mrs Thatcher. Uh, what would you like to work with? Tell me about it. What was, did you enjoy working with her? Yes, I enjoyed it. It was no, it was thrilling, really, um, and you, know, you did get a strong sense of leadership and a strong sense of direction. And she was very principled. Um, you never felt she was doing things for a tacky reason or a narrow reason. She did things basically because she thought there was the right thing to do. And uh, I've heard she had a great sort of personal relationship. She, she had a, a great eye for the personal and an eye for the um, the, bat, the the private, not the private lives, but she was a very supportive leader, which surprised me a lot. Is that something you saw? Yes, uh, 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 absolutely. Um, I remember once uh, one of the staff in Smythes and Stationers in Bond Street, a place where Samantha Cameron once worked. It wasn't Samantha Cameron who told me this, but they told me that, Mrs. Thatcher was the biggest purchaser they'd ever had of small notelets, small paper, because she was always writing personal notes to people. And I've certainly got several personal notes. And uh, I remember um, when I resigned as Chancellor, the first person who rang me was her, saying, you know, don't you worry. And I remember when I didn't get selected for my seat was being abolished for another seat, I got a postcard saying, don't worry, you'll find a seat eventually. She was like that. It's remarkable how that could coexist with also the bullying side of her that you remarked upon earlier. 
Yes, a sort of intellectual bullying, although I think the bullying of Geoffrey Howe, we would hardly call it intellectual. Did you, I mean, did you have big arguments with her? Not though, but intellectual discussions with her? Well, I occasionally had arguments with her, yes. Discussions? Yes. I've no arguments. I, I've heard, you know, great, uh, bilaterals could be great to and throw, so that's what she liked. Yes, yes. But, I mean, sometimes she could be, you know, she could overdo it. Um, I mean, she was once quite rude to Norman Tebbett in uh, my presence. There was just f- three or four of us in a room, and he got up to walk out. He was so fed up with her, and she immediately calmed down. Of course, it was not long after Norman Tebbett had been seriously injured in the bombing, and she realised she'd gone far too far. Quite a personality. Um, one question I've asked everyone, and I'll be very interested in you, is uh, how, um, it's a ridiculous question in a way, but what she would have made of um, Remain versus Leave. And everyone except Malcolm Rifkin has said she would have voted Remain. I wonder what you think. Well, I'm very interested that Malcolm is the only one. They think she would have voted well, Remain. He, yes, the, the, the people close to her, he thinks, he thinks she changed dramatically after office and became much more Eurosceptic, so well, she would have done. The, the, but the, the others say, the, no, the, she was, the, you know, the, the, the Remainers think she would have voted Remain. The, the, the question is quite difficult to answer. Quite difficult to answer in this sense that the question is ambiguous. If it had been when she was Prime Minister or... Do I mean if she was alive when the referendum had happened? If she was alive. It's well, a fanciful I mean, conjecture. Well, what, what, what I know beyond any doubt is I heard her say on many occasions we should leave. The question is, um, did she mean it? Because this was after she'd been prime minister that I heard her say, but I did hear her several times. She said to me, we must leave. Um, but did she mean it? Or was it just because she had the luxury of sitting in the sitting room would she have done it had she been prime prime minister? I think, had she been alive when Cameron called the referendum, I think she would have voted to leave beyond any any doubt. I think when people like Charles Powell say she would have voted to remain, they mean if, if the issue had arisen when she was prime minister. Well, you know, it, it couldn't possibly have... But I think Britain had to go through a lot of experiences before we got to the situation where we would had a referendum. But I've answered the question in a very tortuous no, no, way. No, not at all, not at a all. very tortuous way, yeah. but... No, Charles Paul's the, what the he's the most adamant that she would have definitely... I know, I know yes, Charles yeah, thinks yeah, that. Yeah. But that would have been when she was Prime Minister. I, of course, he saw her even more than I did after she retired. But maybe she didn't say to him what she said to me, or maybe she didn't mean it when she said it to me or thought Charles would disapprove. Who can tell? But I heard her several times say, we must leave. And, I mean, I am often thought by some people to be a very strong leaver. I am a strong leaver. But I didn't immediately, the moment I heard there was a referendum, say to myself, I'm going to vote leave. It was just when I thought about it, I thought I can't resist the temptation but to vote leave. You know, there are risks both ways, but my God, I want to be out of this thing. And I think that's how she would have thought. And uh, do you, did you saw much of her after her premiership or you stayed in touch with her and you saw her? Um, was, she, was she very bitter about what happened? Well, I'm sure she was, but she didn't show it. And considering I was one of the people who, you know, the group who were very much portrayed in the press as having betrayed her, I didn't feel I'd betrayed her. I felt I'd behaved in her best interest. But she 
never never showed it to me personally, uh, you know, when I was with her alone or with other people. Uh, that she made remarks, perhaps when one wasn't there, I don't know. But uh, no, I mean, I, I saw... You had, a, you had a fine relationship with her afterwards? Yeah, I took her, I used to take her out to lunch quite regularly mm. and uh, never... Tell, sh- me, yeah, tell me more, so you got a hard time in the press as what, somebody, a, a sort of foot soldier who stabbed her in the back, was that the sort of impression that was... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, people described her as being assassinated by the men in suits or, you know, it was complete nonsense. She'd been voted against by the parliamentary party.